The following presentation is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that it will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. Well, good morning, everyone. I uh, want to uh, just update you on the Discovery Bible Method training on Friday night. So this is, just to clarify, this is not about uh, learning how to study your Bible. It's a learning about how to journey with others who are either journeying toward faith in Jesus or beyond. So it's really is a practical tool that we often ask ourselves as Christians, how do we actually help others? How do we actually disciple others? So this is really a practical tool uh, which will challenge you. Uh, it's simple but challenging. Um, so come along to that. There are two sessions. So the first this Friday night is the tool, and then two weeks later is really uh, some other help, some other practical help on how to uh, go further with that. So um, those who came along to the first session the first two sessions, uh, they, they go into, I hope you understand that. Um, we both had a really great time, but also a challenging time. So um, if you want to grow, if you want to be challenged in your faith, if you're going this, your faith is just a bit stale, uh, perhaps this is a step for you to go toward. Hey, we're in the book of Psalms, and uh, this is Psalm 3. Last week we looked at Psalm 1, where we looked at the whole idea that the goal of life is to be happy. Not happy in the in the general sense of ha ha ha, but happy in the sense of blessed. Happy in the sense of there is this deep sense about your life that just seems to be well grounded. And and while life is not perfect, you know that that yet you're growing toward that blessed life that God has for you both now and into the future. We come to Psalm three now, which changes gears quite a bit. And in 1999, there was a book written, The Worst Case Scenario, a survival handbook, and the subtitle, Expert Advice for Extreme Situations, were written by Joshua Piven and David Bogenicht. And in this book, there were some practical tips around how to handle uh, when life sort of got you into a crisis. For example, if you were scuba diving and your tank ran out of oxygen, how to get to the surface without oxygen. Um, what you would do practically if you're in an airplane and the pilot died. And if there was one pilot or two pilots, what you would do. Um, how to survive if your parachute failed to open. How to deal with a charging bull. How to escape from killer bees. And how to give a tracheotomy. Now, some of you are going, I better get the title of that book. I better go out and buy it straight after the service. It's just what I need. Or perhaps you're thinking, maybe I should go and buy two just in case I misplace the first one. And there were 10 million people that would think the same. They went and bought the book and it's been translated into 26 languages. It sort of captures this idea that we're going to talk about, that we have these fears that we need to deal with in life. Someone said, Stephen Wright said, if everything seems to be going well, you've obviously overlooked something. Now, some of you are not laughing at that, right? They say about 50% of our world population is naturally disposed you know, naturally, we, that percentage of the population, 50%, uh, feel fear more than others. 
They say there's three basic human emotions that sit deep in our psyche. It's either fear or shame or anger. About 50% of our population are sitting in the fear space, but all of us, even though some are, are, are open to fear more often than others, all of us feel fear at some time. So we want to talk about fear this morning from this psalm. Maybe fears around you sitting there thinking, do I have what it takes to be successful in the job I have? Or a fear about buying a house for the first time. A fear about your finances. Or a fear about being left out by your friends. Or anxiety about the future. Anxiety about your job and the certainty of that. Perhaps anxiety about the eternal security of your spouse or a friend. Anxiety about the future of our planet. It's very real fear for many today, especially among our young adults. There is a slight difference. There is a difference between fear and anxiety. I'm not a, a, a psychologist, so there's not, I'm not going to go into too much depth. But simply they say that fear, um, let me explain it like this. If you, last night at the men's meeting, we spoke about, I grew up in Africa, and perhaps you're walking in the bush, and you come face to face with this aggressive animal. And in that moment, you feel fear, you feel panic. And you, you, your body reacts, and there's adrenaline that rises, and, and so you can either fight or flee or freeze, but you're feeling fear because there's, a, there's something right in front of you that is, that is a concern for you. That's fear. It's in the moment. Anxiety is you're walking in the bush, and you hear a rustle in the bush, and you're wondering, is that an animal that could come and eat me up? And so every time you hear a rustle, there's this concern. You're not, you don't see it, but you're worried about it. And today we're going to journey with a man who you'd be surprised to hear also battled with fear. He seems to be the man in the Old Testament that seems to be somebody who just had it all together. His name was David. He grew up as a young shepherd boy out in the bush looking after the sheep. A fearless young man, he could, he could play both the harp, so he was musical, but he was also fearless. He could fend off lions and, 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 and all sorts of things, bears and others. And he was selected by the prophet Samuel to be the king after King Saul. And so he was this young man whose life was ahead of him. And there was this amazing story that we've all heard of most likely, even if you haven't grown up in church, about David and Goliath. So one day David shows up and everybody else is fearful, but not young David. He says, with God's help, I'm going to attack this fear. I'm going to attack this Goliath. And even in today in our language, we talk about the David and Goliath. Uh, Sometimes you're facing a Goliath problem. And David overcame Goliath with the Lord's help. So he seemed to be tracking really well. That was a high point. Then the low point in his story, and you can read about this in Second Samuel, chapter in Second Samuel, as, as he saw, he was one day not out with his armies, and he looked down from the rooftop. He saw there was this beautiful woman, and he wanted her, so she came to the palace, and she fell pregnant as a result of that. And so that was a problem. But the other problem was she was already married to a man by the name of Uriah. He, Uriah was out fighting in David's army, so David comes up with a cunning plan says, I've got to sort this out. So he brings, he arranges for Uriah to be put, after a long story, he arranges for Uriah to be put in the front of the battle, knowing that those troops normally would cop it. 
good chance of Uriah being killed. And that's exactly what happened. After a while, David takes Bathsheba and, and, and he marries her and she becomes one of his wives. And he thought, well, that was all cool. But there was a prophet, Nathan, who comes to David and said, what you've done is wrong. You have sinned against God, and there's going to be trouble in your household as a result. God's forgiven your sin, but there's a consequence. There's going to be trouble in your household. We get to Psalm 3, where this trouble has eventuated. One of David's sons, Absalom, you read in 2 Samuel 15 to 18, decides to rebel against David. And David runs. He flees. Think about that. Highly successful king, fought these battles, overcome Goliath. But fear gripped his heart, got into that space where he ran. And in the Psalm, Psalm 3, we're both going to see some practical things and some pretty profound things as we grapple with this very real emotion. So let's read Psalm 3. The title of the psalm, just so that we know where we're sitting, the title of the psalm is a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. That's the title. Psalm 3, verse 1. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. So think about that. He's got his army around him. They've marched out of Jerusalem. He's got all of his family, most of his family. They've marched out of Jerusalem down into the Kidron Valley, up onto the Mount of Olives. Um, The priests come out with him, and they bless David and, and and his entourage, and the priests go back to Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant. And David is here so consumed with people against him. Many are my foes. Many rise up against me. Perhaps just put that up again, Philip, if you don't mind. Many rise up against me. Many are saying of me, in, in your, perhaps in your translation, the, the ESV, it says, many are saying of my soul. Many are saying about my identity, that God will not deliver you. They're not just attacking David on a, on a physical level. They're attacking him deep within his soul. People are saying, you're a has-been, you're over, look what you did with Bathsheba, no wonder this is what God is doing to you, you're done. And David is saying, they're attacking my very identity. I'm being assaulted here by this. But then verse 3 begins to shift, and somehow in this journey and in this story, He begins to shift in his mind, and and this obviously happened over a few days that he was able to write the psalm, but he says this, but Lord, he begins to remind himself about some things. He says, but Lord, you are a shield around me. The word for shield there is the type of shield that that really envelops you, and it's a shield you use in battle. You're in the thick of it. And he says, Lord, you are this shield. You have proven that in the past. So he's looking back, he's saying, Lord, you've proven this. You've always been there. You've been my help. But Lord, you are my glory. If people are denouncing me and attacking my soul, actually my identity comes from you. You are my glory. You're the one God who lifts up my head. You know, when we're feeling down about ourselves, when we're feeling like we're moping and, and, and we're feeling, you know, 
life's just how to get us. Our head, go da- head goes down, right? And we sort of mope around. But this is saying that God comes and lifts up your head. And he looks at us and he says, you're my child. I care about you. He's able to lift up our head and say, my, your identity is in me. I've chosen you. You're my child. Nothing changes that. He gives the sense. He speaks into our heart. No matter what people say about you at work or at school or at uni or think about you behind your back or say about you on social media, your identity, firstly, David would say, comes from God. And what he says to you, and that is true. Verse 4 says, Lord, I've called out to you. And this is how he, 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 he shifted in his thinking. He says, Lord, I've called out to you. So picture this. They've gone out of Jerusalem, down the Kidron Valley, up the Mount of Olives, and then heading sort of northeast to cross the Jordan River. And he looks back at Jerusalem, and he says, Lord, the symbol of where you are is in Jerusalem, the Ark of the Covenant, which they got from Moses. Uh, Lord, the, this is a symbol of your presence. I'm looking to you, God. I'm trusting in you. From your holy mountain, I know you can hear me. Um, not to say God's just localized, God's everywhere, but this is an idea, this is an object. He, he can objectify his, 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 his prayers. Now verse 5, look how practical it begins to get. Verse 5 says, Lord, I lie down and sleep. Somehow in all of that strife going on in his family and, and being pelted by stones by a, by a certain man, you can go and read about that in Second Samuel, and, and this man cursing him, this man was a descendant of Saul, cursing him, throwing rocks at him, and his own son rebelling against him, wanting to take his life. He, he got to the point where he says, Lord, I can actually, having reflected on all of your goodness before in my life, I now can lie down and sleep. And when he wakes up in the morning, he goes, you know what? I've actually got through this night. God's actually on my side. You can go and read the story that how God made that work because, you know, some of the advice to, to Absalom who'd moved into Jerusalem now was to pursue David straight away and, and kill him. But then he got different advice and, and then they, so Absalom decided to stay there. So David knew God is on my side. There's some things I can see that he's helping me with. This is a very practical thing when we're fearful, the idea of getting enough sleep. That might seem like just a no-brainer, right? In the past, when I grew up, you know, when I looked at people that I admired and they would say to me, you know, I can survive on, they can survive on four or five hours of sleep and they're just good to go. And I looked at that and I thought, well, that's, you know, that's my hero. You know, that's what I want to try and do. Science has debunked that. Science is showing that we need to get eight hours of sleep a night. And if we don't, we get into sleep deficit. Especially if you're young with young, young kids, you know, your, your, your emotions, if you're not getting enough sleep, it's going to, you're going to struggle more than, than, than those who get a better night's sleep. It's just practical. And science is telling us that you need to get eight hours of sleep and do your best to get that. It's practical. And there are people who show you how to do that. And, and if, if you run into deficit, you really need to take some time off and just sleep for like a while, you know, catch up on it. The practicalities of sleep, just the regeneration of our body is so important. In fact, if you don't sleep enough, you're prone to burnout. If you don't sleep enough, you probably will die young or get some cardiovascular disease. 
you don't sleep enough, it affects our moods. It affects everything we are. So the practicalities right now, friend, if you're finding yourself to be fearful of life, get some sleep. Do what you need to to get some sleep, to sleep properly. What does that mean? Turn off your devices at least an hour before you go to bed. What does it mean? Don't answer the, the, the messages when, you, when you're trying to sleep. Don't look at your phone. Try and put it in another room. When you wake up first thing in the morning, forget about social media. You know, rest properly. Don't let that interrupt you. So David says, I rest and I sleep. And he goes on to say in verse 6, he says, I will not fear. Though tens of thousands assail me on every side, he moved. He'd moved from this fear. He'd moved to faith. A few weeks back, Mark, I believe, said that, and a few people have actually used that in just talking about they've they, they, they remember that from your sermon, that you can either choose fear or you can choose faith. And, some, and David had moved to faith. He says, you know what? Even though 10,000 people come against me, I'm going to be okay. I have faith in God. That life may not be perfect, but in the end, I will be okay. Brene Brown She's quite a famous speaker and writer. If you're a TED Talk person, you might have heard of her. She said faith is a place of mystery where we find the courage to believe in what we cannot see and the strength to let go of our fear of uncertainty. There is this place of mystery, friends, when we place ourselves before God and place our faith in something other than us, whom we've learned to trust. Is it through reading the Bible, through your own experience, through the experiences of others? Your faith causes your fear to be right-sized in the presence of God. And so David says in verse 7, as a result of this, he says, Lord, arise. Lord, I'm, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to let you be the avenger. And this is language that we in the West go, mm, we're not so sure about this, but just read this for itself. Let it, let's just work through this. He says, Lord, arise, deliver me, my God. Strike my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. Wow. But what he's saying, just don't, don't miss this. He said, Lord, I'm going to leave vengeance to you. I'm not going to take the vengeance. Lord, if there's retribution, let them stand before you one day. Let you be the avenger. And in that way, I can learn to forgive people because I don't have to hold a grudge against them because I know they have to stand before God one day. And we may go, well, this is not very polite language for Westerners. Shouldn't we forgive all our enemies? Well, how about Hitler? Would you want God to do this to Hitler? And you probably would go, yeah, okay, well, maybe Hitler. Well, what about Pol Pot? Mm, yeah, okay, Pol Pot. What about Idi Amin? And so we begin to go down the road and go, okay, for some people, yeah, it would be okay for God to do this. It's where we draw the line with the justice that God would bring on our behalf. Lord, deliver me. Deliver me from my enemies, Lord. You bring the judgment and the justice. Then he says this in verse 8, the final verse. From the Lord comes deliverance. The word deliverance is the same word for salvation. Lord, you save me. 
And look where he's ended up with the words that he begins to talk about. In Psalm 1, it starts with the word blessed. Now he says, may your blessing, same word, be on your people. May it be on us because you are good to us, God. He shifted from fear to faith to living the blessed life again. And yes, he ended up back in Jerusalem. His son was tragically killed. He, got, he, got, he had long hair and he got caught up in a thicket and he got killed. That, and somebody came and killed him. You say to me, Ray, this morning, that's a great story. How does that help you? How does it help me? Do we just have to try harder? Do we just have to sleep more? How does this work? This series is about the songs of Jesus. And the Psalms are not only what Jesus used and quoted the most, as we heard last week. This was what he spoke, and we'll see this, that he spoke this from on the cross. The words that he used, many of them came from the Psalms. They were his prayer life. It gives us access to the way he prayed. But more so, these Psalms point us to Jesus. And they show us that these things that we pray about, Jesus has not only gone ahead of us, but he actually gives it to us. He actually imparts it to our hearts as we journey with him that we begin to change. How does this look? Well, let's go back. And there's a couple of dot points here um, that would show you how the psalm relates or speaks about Jesus. Firstly, David had had fled first to the Mount of Olives. Now, for those of you who remember the Bible, some things should be going off in your mind. Where did Jesus spend his final night before dying on the cross? He was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is at the foot of the Mount of Olives. Some people say Golgotha, where he was crucified, is not far from this place as well. Immediately we begin to be reminded that there's a, there's a true and greater David, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus was, a, he ascended to heaven from the Mount of Olives. Go and read about it in Acts chapter 1. And from the cross, Jesus looked down and he saw all of these people against him, and he would be praying, Lord, how many are my foes? How many have risen up against me? Is he's on that cross. And as he was on the cross, and you can go and read in the Gospels, many people walked past and heard, hurled his accusations against him, attacked his identity, attacked who he was, attacked him in person. They said, if you are the Messiah, you saved others, well, save yourself. Come down from this cross. And at the point where he's just about to give up his spirit, into your hands I give my spirit, that's also from the Psalms. He, he says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But the Roman dude stand, standing there didn't understand Arabic. So he thought he was calling out to Elijah. Because the Jews believed that Elijah would come ahead of Jesus or ahead of the Messiah, even, and Jesus even talks about that, John the Baptist, etc. won't go into that. So they think he's calling to Elijah, and somebody ran to help Jesus and give him a drink, and the, then the soldier says, no, no, let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Many are saying of Jesus, God will not deliver him. Think about that. And tens of thousands were against Jesus. And Jesus said in the Garden of Gethsemane when when they came to arrest him and one of the disciples pulled out a sword, Jesus said, 
Don't you think I can ask the Father and he will send ten legions of angels? It's like there's tens of thousands against Jesus. But Jesus can call on ten legions of angels if he needed to, to help him. And then the last part of the psalm says, from the Lord comes deliverance. Who did the son look to to save him from death? It was to the father. The father will allow him to rise from the dead and be vindicated. From the Lord, from the father comes deliverance. So, friends, in many ways, Jesus was the true and greater David. And this psalm points to him. It's not just about him, but it points to him. He says, if, the psalm basically says, if you and I are going to live a life free of fear, and I don't think we'll ever have it perfect, right? We need to be anchored in Jesus Christ. Because why? book of Hebrews says in Hebrews 5, verse 7 and 9, it says, while Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with loud cries and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. There's that word again, the salvation that he brings. The one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers, or the Father heard his prayers. In this way, God qualified him, Jesus, as the perfect high priest. And he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. The word obey is not just to hear what Jesus and obey his laws, but the the word obey means to follow Jesus into the way of life that he lived. It's got to do with the whole quality of life, the way we live our lives, who we follow, and, 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 and as we connect it to him, that we are changed. We're able to overcome our fears because we have faith. Our faith is being developed in us through the Holy Spirit. It's a gift of the Spirit. Jesus is the true and greater David. I'd like to say just as a, as a, as a, as just summing up this whole sermon this morning that courage, friends, is not the absence of fear. (laughs) Courage is replacing your fear with faith because of Jesus. When I'm fearful and anxious, I need to have the presence of mind just to stop and ask my heart, what does this mean about my faith in Jesus right now? Because either he is the son of God or he's not. And if he is the son of God, he is able to help me in my weaknesses. Or he can't. We have to make up our minds about him deeply. So Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Philippi, says it this way. He says, don't be anxious about anything. He says, you will get these anxiety levels in our lives. He says, but in those situations, in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, these are the remembering what God has done for us, remembering what he's done for us in the past, just like David did. Coming to God and saying, God, you are my source of strength and help. And I'm thanking you for that. And he goes on to say in verse 7, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and mind. Look at the words, in Christ Jesus. So Jesus is not just our model. 
It's not just an example we need to live to. But Jesus, the very life he lived, and as we enter into that, he begins to change us. Mysteriously, as Brene Brown says. It's this mysteriousness of faith that changes our lives. So he has the three points. And I said to the men last night, I'd like to crystallize everything into three things. By the way, if you want to get a copy of this, Willem has got the slides. Just going to take a photo of that. I know sometimes the slides are too quick for you, but they are there at the back. Please just go and make a copy. Firstly, make sure you get enough rest. So limit the amount of bad news you digest. We get addicted to bad news, don't we? And the news knows that, right? If it bleeds, it leads, right? They put up the stuff that gets your attention. Why? Because they want to charge, they want to be able to get advertisers to, to, to watch the news so that they can also sell you stuff. If it bleeds, it leads. They don't often give you the good feels, the good news stories, right? So limit the amount of bad news you read and digest. Sometimes I've got to the point where I go, I'm not going to watch the news for a, for a month. I'm just not going to do that. And you know what? After a month, I go and I watch the news again. I go, oh, I missed nothing. It's all the same. It's just a different face. It's just the same old story. Take some regular practices, friends, to get some good sleep, to get away into silence and solitude, and perhaps take a fast. And when we say, let's fast, we, oh, how am I going to fast from the news, right? Don't watch the news for two weeks or whatever you pick. If you're finding that it's making you fearful. Secondly, build your faith. Friends, remind yourself of how faithful God has been to you. And that he never changes. I wonder if that was where David was at. Wondering, is God going to behave differently toward me? I've messed up with Bathsheba, with Uriah. God has said there's going to be trouble in my household. I wonder if I've messed up so much that he no longer, no longer wants to know me. Here's the good news. God never changes. He says, you're my child. You are his child. If he says, I love you, he will always love you. If he says, you have a future, you will always have a future. It's the enemy who wants to take that away from you. God never changes. And you know what? The journey through fear and faith helps to cement this in place. None of us have got this perfect. The journey we have in life, friends, let's be honest, helps us to come to this decision. Thirdly, allow your fears and anxieties to strengthen your participation in the life of Jesus Christ. What do I mean by that? I hope I've illustrated to you this morning that Jesus is not just a great example. But as we genuinely follow him into the life he's chosen for us, we are being transformed through the Holy Spirit. It's not up to us. Yes, God asks us to to respond to what he's saying, but it's not up, up to us solely to make the difference and the changes. Because all that will do will beat you up. We can't do it without God's help. Press into who Jesus is. Press into what he's done for you. Press into the fact that he sent the Holy Spirit to be with you, to be your counselor, your advocate, your helper, your strengthener, your equipper. 
in this life as we face our fears. Let me pray for you. Lord, there's a prayer by Julian of Norwich, the old church father. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Lord, you haven't guaranteed us a perfect stress-free life. But we know in the end you've got us. In the end, you do not change. We pray, Lord, this morning, cause our faith to rise. As we bring, Lord, our anxieties to you and present them to you and present our praise and our prayers and our thanksgiving for all you've done for each of us, for all you've done for this world. And all those accusations, Lord Jesus, you bore on the cross. You took them on our behalf. When people say things about us, Lord, you've carried those. Lord, you've come to change this world, and it is being changed. Yes, and we're a bit impatient, God. We'd love it to be changed quicker. But you're changing it at the pace that you know to be good. Lord, you've overcome sin, you've overcome the devil, you've overcome death. So what other things should we fear? Nothing. But we do fear God. So help us in that. Build our faith. Give us the gift of faith. And those around us, Lord, who have the extraordinary ability to speak faith in life, might they use that to encourage us? Might they build us up? We thank you that you're present with us now through the Holy Spirit, even touching our hearts. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this presentation from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.